Are you thankful for grace today? I like this big pulpit. Confident to tuck my shirt in when the pulpit's bigger than me. Today I want to talk about amazing grace. Can we pray? Father, we thank you. We thank you for grace. We thank you for your son. And I pray you give me the ability to speak and the ability to think and the people the ability to hear. And when we leave this place, we're going to know that grace is amazing. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You can be seated. It's important that we, that we sing new songs. New songs teach us to be fresh, to stay open. In fact, the Bible says that we are to sing unto the Lord a new song. There's something powerful about new songs. But in addition to singing new songs, I believe we need to keep singing old songs. Because just as new songs can stir the hearts and faiths of people in a new way, old songs have a way of connecting us to our heritage, where we come from. And I heard a professor once say that as Christians, we are to tilt forward, but make sure that we keep a cable that anchors us to the past. We can never forget the heritage of our ancestors that got us to where we are today. And part of that as Christians are hymns. I recently heard the story of a preacher who is preaching with all his might, and he told the congregation that day, he said, if I had all the beer in the world, I would go down to that river, and I'd pour it in the river. And the room said, amen. He said, if I had all the wine in the world, I'd go down to the river, and I'd pour that wine in the river. And the whole church said, amen. He finally said, if I had all the whiskey in the world, I'd go down to the river, pour all that whiskey down the river. And the church said, amen. He sat down and the song leader picked up his hymnal and began to sing, shall we gather at the river? Somebody's been to the river. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 6, I'm going to meet you there in just a moment. Amazing Grace is one of the most sang songs in history. It's been recorded on over 11,000 11, albums, written by a man named John Newton in the year 1779. John Newton was born in London, England. In 1726, to John Newton Sr. and Elizabeth Newton. His father was a, a ship master in the Mediterranean service, and his mother was an instrument maker. John Newton's earliest memories were of his godly mother, who, despite 
fragile health would pray with him and teach him the scriptures and nurture his soul. She later died when he was seven years old, causing such pain in his life. And after her death, he began to spiral out of control. He began to jump from boarding school to boarding school. He joined a ship crew. He sailed the high seas, wanting to live a full life, but nonetheless falling into a life that was further and further away from God and deeper and deeper into sin. He joined this ship crew that traded slaves. He was a raging drunk. The captain said this of John Newton, that not only did he use the worst language I have ever heard, but he created new words that exceeded the limits of debauchery. Somebody's like, wow. John began to tell people that his life began to progress to such terrible places that he began to tell people that he was an atheist. Despite his upbringing, despite the scriptures he memorized and the hymns that he learned as a child with his mother, he, he says, now I'm an atheist. He hated his crewmates. The crewmates hated him. The crewmates said that he was a rebel. They called him an immoral man. His nickname was the great blasphemer, John Newton, the great blasphemer. And on the night of March the 10th, 1748, in the middle of the night, a violent storm came to the ship that John Newton was on. And in the middle of this storm that was rocking the boat, Water was coming in, and John Newton, the self-proclaimed atheist, entitled by others, the great blasphemer, who cussed like a sailor, who lived for the devil. In that moment, he recounts the story saying that I dropped to my knees, and he said, God, have mercy on us all. God spared his life that night. John Newton gave his life to Christ. And he later wrote that the 10th of March is a day much remembered by me. I have never suffered it to come to pass unnoticed since the year 1748. The Lord came to me, he said, from on high and delivered me out of deep waters. This great blasphemer had life change. That began in one moment. He later became a pastor and penned some of the most famous words in Christendom. As you can see, and you've sang today on the screen, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a great blasphemer like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. 
And this line is the one that spoke to me the most. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. John chapter number six. When I read this story, I thought of this story and thought about how this story in the Bible is a great illustration of the power of the grace of God. John chapter six, verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea of Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea had become rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four hours, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat. And, when they, and they were frightened, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land to which they were, they were going. I want to just turn your attention to verse number 18 when it says the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And, and just like John Newton, I think many of us can find ourselves in storms in life. Maybe you've been through some storms. Maybe you're going through a storm. And if you're not in those two categories, I have some interesting news for you today. You're probably at some point gonna go through a storm. Can I get an amen? amen. Some storms, point number one, if you're taking notes, some storms can come by chance. Storms can come by chance. These are unexpected, unannounced, uncomfortable, unbelievable, unforeseen situations that come into our lives. Being raised a pastor's kid, it wasn't uncommon to hear the phone ring and somebody say, Pastor, my son hasn't come home. Pastor, the doctor said. Pastor, my daughter. Pastor, the diagnosis, the accident, the layoff. Couldn't tell you how many times I've been stopped in the lobby and they said, she's only got six weeks to live. Or the messages I get that say, can you please pray because my baby is premature and difficulties in life and problems at home and situations because some storms just happen by chance. And just because we are Christians we are not necessarily protected from the rain when it storms. Jesus said it rains on the just as well as the unjust. And, and hear me, storms by chance are often because we live in a fallen world. So not only do storms come by chance, point number two, storms come by choice. Yeah, I don't know where you live, but I'm coming for your house right now. Some storms come by chance, some storms come by choice. If some storms by chance are because we live in a fallen world, storms by choice are because we live in a, because we are flawed people. Now listen close, because of our flaws and our brokenness and our imperfections, we can have some, we can make some choices and we can make some decisions and we can have a pattern 
to where it can, can, can create some storms in our lives. That really, I'm not even sure we need the devil to blame. That we can just create some storms by our own choices. Look at this verse, Proverbs chapter 19 says, people ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then they get angry at the Lord. Somebody's like, I'm gonna send that to my husband right now. We'll get to... The Bible is so true, isn't it? That sometimes we can just by our own choices make decisions and our, by our own impulses decide, I wanna marry him, I wanna work there, I wanna do this, I wanna do that, I wanna say what I wanna say, do what I wanna do, and then have the audacity to come to somebody and say, can you pray the devil's fighting me? Honey, the devil's shocked at you. The devil would hire you, probably. It's easy to blame the devil when we don't want to take responsibility. It's easy to over-spiritualize our lives when we just won't be honest and, and just be real before God and say that some of the storms we face in life are not by choice. They're, excuse me, they're not by chance. They are by choice. We've just made some decisions. And John Newton finds himself in both. A storm on the natural or in the natural on a sea by chance. And his life messed up, broken, shattered by choice. John Newton, in that moment when the storm is raging around him, immediately realized that he is limited. He, he, what? I have nowhere to go. It, what do I say? What do I do? And he cries out to God. Here's an interesting thing about storms, point number three. Storms can reveal to us our limitations. Verse 19 in the story says that they had rode about three or four miles. In the middle of a windstorm, in the middle of a, a, an, a setback, if you will, in the middle of either a choice or a chance storm, the Bible says that they're rowing for three to four, four miles, giving all they have to just try to get through the storm. Now, I want you to listen to me. This is a great image. I'm talking about amazing grace today. This is a great image of humanity. This is a perfect illustration of a rowing, fruitless humanity trying to, within their own strength, save themselves. Am I talking to anybody? Within their own power, trying to get themselves out of trouble, trying to get themselves out of struggle, trying to get themselves through difficult seasons. Our culture's doing this. Our culture's rowing as society keeps failing as suicide rates keep climbing, as divorce rates keep soaring, as death rates keep going up, as the, as the cost of living goes higher, and all of these things, society begins to row harder and harder and harder, thinking that we can save ourselves. Thinking that if we can just keep progressing and we can keep advancing, then we will be, we'll get to the other side. But it's funny. How this image looks like so many of us. Almost looks like we're running from God. Thinks we can fix our marriage on our own. 
How many of you have ever caught yourself living your life without God? I mean, you love him, but you're making decisions that don't involve him, and so now you're trying to get out of a storm, get out of a situation, get through a season, and you're trying to row your way out. Here's what I find so interesting about our society is that we're always progressing but unwilling to repent. Always advancing in technology, never acknowledging our need for a savior, quick to speak our minds, never willing to confess our sins, just rowing, giving everything we have, trying to live, trying to make it work, trying to, trying to if I just made 10,000 more dollars a year, if we could just get in that better neighborhood, if, we could, if I could just find me a man, everything, we're just thinking we're gonna find utopia. Politicians are praying on that. If you vote for me, then I got the best order that anybody had. If the right party got this, the left party got that, can I tell you, ain't nobody gonna fix this. We're rowing and rowing humanity. Culture is rowing. But here's another thing, not just culture. I think church people row. Church people row. What do you mean by church people? There is religious rowing and routine that we think that if we keep rowing because I'm a good little Christian girl, I go to church three times a year. God is going to shine his face on me. I'm in the choir. Look at you. Here, can you row for me, sister? Look at you in the choir. Look at you. Look how saved you are. You got a Bible and a pen and a paper. She hasn't written a thing down, but just, she has. She has. I'm just joking. Some people, that's how we look. We're just rowing with all our might, trying to impress God because we tithe, trying to impress God because we have a good moral behavior, trying to impress God because we're not as bad as somebody else, trying to impress God because our mama used to have the deacon meeting at her house and fed them all. You'd be amazed by what people can tell me. You know, my mama, she just used to clean the church and we're going straight to heaven. I'm like, honey, have you read your Bible? I go to church and we love God and we're good people. We're good people. Look, this is how we're getting to heaven because we're good folks. Can I sit right there in the middle with these pews? How much, uh, these things, uh, which one's the broken one? Back there, all right. Hope it ain't your row. Look how scared he looks. He's like, one's broken? That one right there's got a little, it's weak in Jesus. This is what we look like sometimes. We're just giving everything we got to try to impress God. And we think God will say, I'm a good person, so I'm gonna go to heaven. You know what, I thought something last night, I've never, I've never heard anybody say this. You know God's never saved a good person. Because there are no good people. He's not one time saved a good person. Somebody said one time, and I've said this before, somebody said one time, why does bad things happen to good people? And I heard a preacher say in return, that's never happened but one time and he volunteered. Here's, here's where we're finding ourselves. I'm worried that because we've become so churchy, we think churchy people go to heaven. 
Bible says that many will say to me that day, he says, depart from me. Church people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Religious people go to heaven. Well, I, I've been, I'm, I'm dying the wool Baptist. Look at this. You think when you get to heaven, God's going to be like, Baptists, come on in. Pentecostals, come on in. Episcopalians, come on in. Catholics, bars right over there. Come on in. That's a joke. That's a joke. Don't you quit this church over that joke. I've said worse and you stayed. That's not bad. That's not that bad. Where's Guy at? Is Guy Mackey okay with that? All right, look, he was a Catholic. Look, he's raising his hands. Look how far he's come. Just a rowing humanity. Storms raging around us. And we think this gets us favor with God. We think this is what gets us to heaven. We think this is what makes God love us. We think that if we're good little people and God just loves us, here, here's the reality. When we row really hard, we start becoming more and more impressed with our abilities. We become more and more impressed with our spirituality. We become more and more impressed with our moralism. We become more and more impressed with our behaviors. And I hate to, I hate to hurt you today. That's called self-righteousness. The song said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch. A wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Notice what John Newton's trying to help us understand is that this rowing is still as Filthy rags, the Bible says, in the eyes of God. That are in our best day, in our best day, we could never get into heaven. We could never get God's approval. We, we are literally in the eyes of God. The Bible says we're born in sin, shaping in iniquity. Romans chapter three, verse 23, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. This is, our, this is our futile efforts to just try to win the approval. And what he's trying to do, John Newton is trying to inform us, you're still a wretch. You're still lost. You're still blind. You think that if you row really hard and you try a really good, if you try to be a really good person, that's what God has favor on. And in this song, he's saying, no, no, don't you forget, John Newton, I was a wretch. Didn't matter how hard I rode. Didn't matter how hard I was trying to get out of the storm that night. It didn't matter. Because watch this, verse 19. When they rode about three, or excuse me, when the, yeah, when they rode about three to four miles, comma, they saw Jesus. They saw Jesus. Watch this. Grace is not Amazing because of us. Grace is amazing because he came to us. Grace is not amazing because we have won his approval and we can climb up to him. Grace is amazing because God came down to us. And hear me, didn't have to. 
God is not obliged to your, to even acknowledge our existence. David said, who is man that you are even mindful of us? That night in the storm, the disciples and John Newton, they saw Jesus. It's almost like grace appeared. How precious did grace appear the hour I first believed. For, for John Newton, it was March the 10th, 1748. Living in a life of storms and rains and failures and sin and shame and brokenness and the boat was rocking and he saw Jesus. I wish I could take some time and go around the room and I know I could find you where you were living your best life, doing the best you could, trying to make ends meet, trying to figure your life out, and then you saw Jesus. I don't know if you remember the day, the day that God found you, the day you found God, the day he came close enough to your boat to, so that you could see him. That's grace. The fact God even made himself available. Somebody said one time, why is there... Why can't there be many ways to God? Pastor, why, why can't there be many ways to God? The better question is, why is there even one? God makes himself available and grace appears. And check this out. How many of you can even remember? I'm gonna pick on some of you. I can find somebody in here. Scott, do you know the date you gave your life to Christ? Are you saved at the moment, I'm just kidding. He was like, ah, uh, what's the date? It was youth camp. Youth camp? 1983. You were rowing your boat, and grace appeared. Kirk, do you remember? In the 70s. In the 70s, at a youth camp. Yes. Rowing your boat, and grace appeared. Yeah. Crystal? July 7th, 1999, you were rowing your boat and grace appeared. Pastor Josiah, are you saved, my friend? He's like, I got saved five minutes ago. <laughs> Just kidding. Do you remember the date, year, time, estimation? 1996. Rowing your boat, grace appeared. Mr. Gray, do you remember? 28 years old, rowing your boat. We didn't talk before service, but do you, what was the surrounding circumstances? If you can share them. The chaplain for the police department I was working for started speaking to me about his faith in a way that I needed to hear it. Mm. Not telling me about my faith. Yep. When I was rowing my boat. Yeah. Finally reached me. Imagine that moment, finally, when you rode all night and you gave everything. And you didn't know if the boat was going to stay up, but grace appeared. Jesus, in the middle of a storm, showed up. Ephesians chapter 2, arguably one of my favorite parts of the whole Bible, Ephesians chapter two, verse one says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, 
You, you just used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world, just going with the flow. But God, somebody say, but God, is so rich in mercy, and he loved Ethan so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace you have been saved. Grace is amazing. Verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believe. You can't take any credit for this. He said it is a gift from God, not an award. Salvation's not a reward for those that could get it right. It's a gift for those that knew they couldn't. Hear me today, I need to say this. It's amazing grace, not amazing you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Grace is amazing. Jesus came and lived a perfect life. Hear this. Taught preached, gave his life, was beaten, mocked, scorned, laughed at, spit on. They pressed the crown of thorns upon his head. One man I heard said that there was a teaching that the Roman guards, there were 600 of them on a battalion, would come through with a reed and smack the top of the crown of thorns, 600, one at a time beaten to the point of being unrecognizable that actually should have been you. Should have been me. But grace appeared. Grace is amazing. Jesus feels the weight and the pressure, absorbs the wrath of God on your behalf. Didn't just die for you, but died as you. In fact, let me say this. Maybe you did die. Well, let me say this. Maybe you were saved by works. Just not your works. Maybe your rowing didn't save you. But Jesus going to the cross on your behalf, giving his life, living a perfect sinless life so that God could treat you how he would have treated Jesus because he treated Jesus how he would have treated you. That's amazing grace. And every day of our lives, we have to live this way to remember the power of the gospel. The Bible said it is the power of God unto salvation. I fear, I'm getting off my notes and this is always super dangerous. I'm so afraid that in the American church we have convinced people they're big mistakers. You've made a, you've messed up. You have failed. You made a little boo-boo. They don't realize what the Bible says is that we're actually sinners in need of a savior. 
and that if we are not saved, if somebody doesn't pay for our sin, we have to pay for our sin. And we, after death, apart from Christ, will spend eternity paying for our sin in the, what the Bible calls outer darkness, away from God, in hell. The reason we don't preach it, because it doesn't pay the bills. We ain't going to tell nobody that. You want to scare them off? You want them to come? You want their families to come? So we edit the message and not spook people off. And so we tell people, you just, you just have made mistakes. You just need to call on Jesus. No, what the Bible says is that you're lost. The Bible says that we're wicked. The Bible says that we are sinners, shaping in iniquity, in need of grace and mercy and truth. And within our own power, we cannot save ourselves. God didn't send a doctor. He didn't send a lawyer. He didn't send an educator. He sent his son because he knew he needed saving. That's what God did. That's amazing grace. He didn't have to. But if there's anybody in the room this morning that's thankful that even though he didn't have to, he still did it. And you're here today because he's amazing. Because his grace is powerful and his love is incredible. Amazing grace. think a lot of people don't like to hear that stuff. They would rather be told that we make mistakes and I'm a good person and I'm this and I'm that and you shouldn't tell us this. And Pastor Ethan, you should just encourage us. And I've heard, People have told me this. Church is not a place to be hard on people. I'm not being hard on people. I'm just telling you what it says. It's telling you what it says. eyes closed all over the room. If you don't know Jesus today, I need you to know grace is amazing. <laughs> if you're in the room today and you need to rededicate your life or you need to give your life to Christ today and you need to be washed in the blood and you say, God, I cannot live my life without you. You feel like you don't have a friend in the world. You feel like you have no purpose. Maybe you just need that feeling of, I just need to be forgiven of my sins today in this room. I want you to make a commitment to Christ because he's already made a commitment to you. If you're ready for this, I want you just in your own, in your heart right now, if you're ready, I want you to tell God I'm ready. I'm done running. I'm done rowing. I'm, trying to, I'm done trying to do my own way done trying to do my own thing. If you're ready, I want to count to three. I want you to raise your hand nice and high and say, I'm going to say yes to Jesus. Surrender my life to him once and for all. Are you ready? One, two, three. Raise it up. Raise it up. Thank you. Thank you for that hand. Keep it up for a moment. Don't put it down. Thank you for those hands. I see it over here, man. I see it up in the balcony. I see you. I see you. Bunch of you right there. Ma'am, I see you. Two guys right here. I see you. Come on, church, this is amazing. <laughs> this is amazing. This is grace right here. This is grace. Sing it for me, Pastor Tyson. Come on, let's sing together. See grace, how sweet the Thank you, Jesus. Oh, rich like me. 
sing it again. If you're one of the people that raised your hand, we haven't done this since Easter, but when we play these old songs, they make me think of the old places. And one of the old places is the altar. And I want to give a moment, if you're one of the people that raised your hand, to meet me at the altar. I want to pray with you. Come on, and when you see them coming, I want you to not cut, let them come quiet. Come on, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. I don't care if it's just one, we'll wait. Just stay right there. Come on, sing again, Pastor Tyson. Let's sing together, church. Is there just one more? In my heart, I felt like there was just one more. I know people are like, can we go? Can we go? No, we can't go. If that was your daughter, you asked me to wait. If there's one more, I'll wait on you. If there's one more, I'll wait. There's somebody in here that feels God is saying, it's your day. I can't make you come. But you've been rowing all your life. You've been pushing all you have. And today's a new day for you. Today's a new day, a new chapter, a new season. Mm -hmm. 
Is that you? You snuck down here all super. My God, I think we've been to church. It's cool. That's awesome. I'm done fighting. I'm done rowing. I'm ready. You guys just made the greatest decision of your life. Greatest decision you ever made in your life. For somebody watching, you need to know this ain't planned. This ain't staged. When I do this, I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't know who's going to come. And I don't know what's going to, but all I know is if I preach the gospel, somebody's going to get saved. Somebody's sins are going to be washed. Somebody's heart's going to be healed. And a new day is coming for you. A new day and a new chapter. So here's what I want you to do, church. Let's all pray the prayer together. I want all of you to join me. We're all going to pray with you. Everyone say, dear God, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean with your blood. Make me new. Today, be my friend. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I believe that you died. And I believe that you rose again. And I surrender my life to you once and for all. In Jesus' name. Come on, if you believe it today, give God a big praise in the house.